All right, well, good morning, everybody. All right, there we go. Give me a chance to get this dialed in. Like I'm doing anything at all, I'm just sitting here talking. Mike's doing all the work back there. Making me sound more manly, if you could. <clears throat> a little more bass in that thing. Maybe not that much. I mean, I know it's a big ask, but uh, you know, let's go a little bit uh, easy on that. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, welcome. Welcome to Pillar Church of Oceanside. God is good, amen? amen. He is good and faithful and, man, just a lot of emotions, a lot of things going on this past week. Many of you know that we're moving our son to Texas. After church today, we're going to load up and we're going to caravan east and we'll come back without him. So, sorry, I know, breaking your heart. Yeah, well, he's answering a call on his life, and we're we're grateful and thankful for God's call on his life and his obedience, but it is challenging. For those of you that have young children, it awaits you. For those of you that have adult children, um, you, you know the feeling. And for, for those of you that are just spiritual parents, um, doing this with us, you know, it takes all of us together, and we're grateful for all of that. And so my wife and I will be gone for the next two weeks. We'll just miss one Sunday next week, but... Um, appreciate your prayers um, for the journey, but also for yeah, just what is to come uh, for that. So grateful for my church family. But I want to start out this morning by just sharing something with you that I was pretty excited about this summer, and it may not be exciting to many of you, but Lee, can you just put that picture up that's there? I'm really super stoked about this. <clears throat> so there's me with my grapes. And they are my grapes. Um, first ever bunches of grapes coming from our grape vines. Um, okay, you can take that picture away. <clears throat> the vines themselves are about six years old. So I guess technically they're not mine. I didn't plant them in the ground, but I they're sort of adopted them as mine. So for the last three years, I've been really investing quite a bit in my grape vines. Um, didn't realize how much work went into on the front end with sometimes not seeing anything at all. So for the first couple of years, there wasn't much there. Like these little tiny things would start to spread out that kind of looked like they were going to be bunches of grapes, and then they were like nothing. They just little anemic things that nobody wanted. Not even the birds wanted them. So they just kind of stood there and taunted me. Um, <clears throat> but I started reading. All right, what do I do? How do I make this work? And so the first year that I was there, I read, you've got to trim these things back. And so I was like, oh, okay. I mean, let's, let's try it, see what happens. So I trimmed them back, modestly, I would say. And they came back the next spring, no fruit. It's like, okay, well, maybe they're just too young to bear fruit. Next year, all right, I'm, I'm going. Like they, I read again and again, like, you have to go all the way down, like, till there's almost nothing left. And then see what happens. So this was um, 2020, uh, January-ish of 2020. So I'm like, I'm going, I'm going all in. <laughs> I trimmed them down to, like, nothing. There were just bare little vines everywhere, and I was a little bit nervous, to be honest with you. I'm like, I just ruined these great vines. You know, hundreds of dollars down the drain. They're never coming back. Well, April came around, and these little buds started coming out. I was like, okay, I, I, can, I can deal with this. This is cool. Little leaves came up, and then more leaves, and more leaves, and then it was like out of control. Like, if you came to our house, and well, you didn't in 2020, but uh, <laughs> it was just like massive as far as you could see, grapevines, leaves, all kinds of stuff. But you know what was missing? Grapes. The grapes. There was no grapes still. I'm like, what? Why? Why are there no grapes? I did what I was supposed to do. I trimmed them back. 
What I didn't realize was that as they're growing, you also have to trim them back because all of the nutrients and all of the energy was going to the leaves. <laughs> I didn't know that, you know? I, I guess I didn't read enough. <laughs> so this year, I'm going, it's going to be different. I'm getting grapes this year. It's going to happen. So same thing. I think it was December this year. I trimmed them all the way back. Not worried this time because I knew they were going to come back. And then in like February, March, I started seeing the, the growth and, and around May time frame, little things that looked like grapes. I was like, oh, something's happening here. So I trimmed back. And I also trimmed the, the leaves away from the grapes because apparently they need sunlight and a lot of it. The picture you see is the result of all that trial and error, but realizing that you got to trim more than you think. Even stuff that looks like it's supposed to be there. Green, luscious, huge leaves. Nope, got to trim it back to make space for the sunlight and for the, the nutrients and everything coming up from the vine would go out to the branches and it would bear a lot of fruit. I was pretty excited about that, my friends. I didn't realize also that no matter how much pruning and trimming you do, if you're not caring for like where the, the vine enters the ground, <laughs> I'm watering it three times a week, I'm fertilizing it with the best mulch I can get, you know, I'm putting all these vitamins and nutrients in it. I did that for the first two years and it was, again, without fruit. I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm spending all this money. But putting it all together, <laughs> realizing that the vine is the source of all these things, you gotta make sure that that's all there, trimming, bearing, light, sunlight, all works together. And man, um, I got some grapes. More than we could eat. They tasted pretty good. <laughs> I think, yeah, I learned a few more lessons, so I think next year they're going to be perfect. Perfect, perfect. Um, so having walked through this process now for the last couple of years, um, I feel like I have sort of an insider's track to Jesus' audience when he taught what we're going to go over this morning, which is probably a very familiar passage to a lot of you out of John chapter 15, and that is the vine and the branches. So um, why don't you just pull up your Bibles if you've got them. I'm going to read from the ESV. It'll also be on the screen. <clears throat> John chapter 15. We'll read the first 17 verses. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, as someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For that, for all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the illustrations that you give us, Lord, that help us to understand, visualize, and internalize these principles that you've given us. And so, Lord, we ask for your help this morning. Lord, show us what it means to abide. And help us to understand, not just intellectually, this illustration that you're giving us, Lord God, but how it translates into our lives here today. God, give us focus, a desire, an appetite for the things of you, God, revealed to us through your word and through your son by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, as always, if you have questions, please shoot them to that number right there. Text your questions into that number. We'll come up for the Q&A toward the end and answer that, hopefully. Uh, If you weren't with us last week, I want to just kind of remind you of where we left off and sort of the the guiding principle, if you will, or the, the overarching theme. This is what we said, that the Christian life is marked by participation, obedience to God, through Jesus, in the Holy Spirit. I remember we said we were moving from life with Jesus to life through Jesus, making the distinction that a life that includes Jesus is different than a life that reveals Jesus. Right? Does that sound familiar? Amen. Okay. And the Holy Spirit plays a critical role in all of that. So that's where we were last week. This week we're talking about abiding, remaining in Christ, and how love is going to play a role in that for us. Okay? So I was thinking back, contemplating, and realizing that my very first sermon that I preached like 10 years ago was on this very text. And I wish I could tell you what I taught him. (laughs) But my memory fails me more often than it helps me. So um, actually some of you here in this room were there, so maybe you remember what it was all about. And you can remind me. It's neither here nor there, but I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, this this is awesome. See what the Lord has done. Anyway, again, not important to you. It is to you. Okay, good. Thank you for that. So obviously in these first eight verses, we have this agricultural illustration, um, which is is very helpful if you can relate to it, if it makes sense to you, which is why I spent a little bit of time up front kind of unpacking some of the ins and outs of vine work, right? Because some of us don't know exactly what that means. But the example that Jesus gave us, it's, it's making more and more sense to me. And like I said to you before, I feel like I have a little bit of an insider's track because Primarily, the, the entire audience back then would have understood. They would have known. They probably would have you know, done some vine work of their own or at least had a, a, a deeper knowledge than we do today. Um, so, so the verses, not only they paint a picture of the vine, the branches, the fruit, the vine dresser or gardener, uh, if you will. They, they're going to teach us about our identity. They're going to teach us about our purpose and our function. Who doesn't want more clarity on those things, right? You want to know more about your purpose and your identity and your function in this world through Jesus? I do. So the opening verses, we're going to learn something about Jesus. 
and we're going to learn something about ourselves. So how many I am statements in John? Seven. Seven. Well, guess what we get today? The seventh one, the last one. Um, And it's a doozy for the Jewish audience. For us, it's probably like, he's going to go right past us. But what does Jesus call himself here in the opening of chapter 15? The vine, okay. Um, What kind of vine? The true vine. And I think that's the part that maybe we just kind of skirt past because it, it may not have a lot of meaning to us. But you may not know this, but a vine in the Old Testament is symbolic or representative of what? Who? Israel. Israel is regularly referred to as a vine all throughout the Old Testament, particularly when God is using it as an example of ways in which Israel has failed, (laughs) right? Um, Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 15, all right? The heading of this, which is not going to show up there, is Jerusalem a useless vine? (laughs) That's the heading of this section. Here's Ezekiel 15, 2 through 6. Son of man, how does the wood of the vine surpass any wood? The vine branch is among the trees of the forest. Is wood taken from it to make anything? Do people take peg? Sorry, do people take a peg from it to hang any vessel on it? Behold, it is given to the fire for fuel. When the fires consume both ends and the middle is charred, is it useful for anything? Behold, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less when the fire has consumed it, it is charred, can it ever be used for anything? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so I have given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He's talking about a vine, right? He's like, it's burned to the ground. What good is it? Nothing. But when it was whole, when it was healthy, it was still good for nothing. He's like, Israel, you're, you're failing and you're, you're messing this up. Then there's Psalm 80. Let's look at Psalm 80 real quick. I think we're at verses 7 through 11. So now Israel's talking back to God. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, with mighty cedars, with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea, and it shoots to the river. Is that it? Just love it? Okay. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. So now you see Israel recognizing this imagery, right? God, you brought the vine out of, out of Egypt. You brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt. You planted it in the promised land, and it's growing large, so they want to be restored back. And so that's the imagery that's going on here, right? Israel as the vine. So when he says, I am the true vine, which we'll get to here, he's saying something more than what we think. But we've got this theme running through John, if you haven't picked up on it. So Jesus, in principle, so far, we see him uh, superseding the temple, the Jewish feasts, even superseding Moses, And now we see superseding Israel as the true vine. Not the apostate people that have turned away from God. He is himself representative of that. And the people that are joined into him, 
And we learn later in the New Testament that are grafted in. There's a lot of, a lot of symbolism there as well. So we learn about who Jesus is, the true vine, representative of, of superseding Israel there. We also learn that the Father is who? What is his role in this? He's the vine dresser. Uh, again, not a common word for us, but, but gardener. <laughs> Somebody who's got some pruning shears that's, that's caring for what's going on. So Jesus is the vine. God, the Father, is the vine dresser, the gardener. And as we'll learn, as we read in verse 5, who are we? We're the branches. Got it. That matters because of what verse 2 says. It says, if we, the branches, don't bear fruit, what's going to happen to us? Cut off, and then what? Thrown into the fire. Um, no thank you, <laughs> right? But that's the illustration that I read in Ezekiel, right? They're burned up because they're useless. They're not doing anything for the kingdom of God whatsoever. So that's not what we're after. We're not after being cut off and thrown into the fire. But then, we're also told that what happens if we do bear fruit? What happens if we bear fruit? What does the Father do to us? He still prunes us. <laughs> for what purpose? To bear more fruit or better fruit, however you want to see it. It, it makes so much sense when you take into consideration the parallel that we got in, in, in Jesus' illustration of the vine, right? Oh, okay, I get it. Even my grapes up there is like a, a real-life example. You literally have to prune off what looks to be good in order to see the actual kind of growth that you're after. So many times as Christians we see, look at all these leaves around me. Look at this luscious growth. You know, I'm doing so great, and none of it matters. Because <laughs> it's all done for the wrong reasons, or it's rooted in something else. It's something that you're producing on your own apart from the vine, which in the kingdom of God is useless. Right? That's what he's getting out to you. But it's counterintuitive to cut off stuff that looks like it's good. Isn't there stuff that we do every day that feels like it's good or like we should be doing it? And maybe it is, but for whatever reason, it's done under false pretenses or with, with poor motive. Right? These are the kinds of things that we got to examine our lives of. Yes, on the surface it looks good, but is it good? Or do I need to take the shears to it? Or do I need to allow the Lord to come and just prune me? Thankfully, we get some words of encouragement in verse 3 for us. He says, you are already clean. He's talking to the disciples, but it's in, in, by extension, I should say, he's talking to us as well. In other words, he says, you're already in me because of the word I've spoken to you. Right? You know who I am, and you are mine. You are already abiding in me. And the same thing is true for everyone here. If you have repented and believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are also clean. You are also included in this category, and that's a good thing. Yes? Absolutely it is. And so if that's the case, what's coming next is very important for all of us to consider. So the entire section that we just read, as you, you probably caught on, there's just sort of these repeating ideas about abiding. Abide, abide, abide. I think maybe we have kind of a general understanding of what that word means, but what does it mean to abide? Are, are there any other words in your translations that we read there that replace the word abide? Remain. Anybody else have another word there? Live in. Dwell, perhaps. Stay. These are some of the words that are used in other translations. You see, this is the, the pinnacle of our relationship with Jesus is, is what we're talking about here. It's how we relate to and how we commune with God. That's, that's what we're talking about here. This is significant. There's another term that 
hasn't been used a lot lately, at least that I'm aware of in the circles that I'm in. Um, but I feel like back in the day it was something more common. Union with Christ. You, anybody familiar with that? Union with Christ. I got a couple of head shakes, but most people were like, no. What does it mean to be joined with, in union with something or somebody? There's like this intimate connection. There's a joining together, right? But what Jesus is doing is driving home the point that with him, we bear much fruit, and apart from him, we what? We, not only can we bear no fruit, but we can do nothing. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, can we do stuff apart from Jesus? Oh, yeah, we can do all kinds of stuff. Is it stuff that matters to him? No. Apart from me, you can do nothing that is of significance for me and for my kingdom. He says, I am the bride. You are the, ban- you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, that's as clear as we can get it. Thank you for that. So our identity then in Christ is that we are connected to him and that we belong to him. And our purpose, according to these verses, is that as we abide in Christ, we bear fruit. Much fruit, as he says. And who's the source of it all? It's the vine, a.k.a. Jesus. We bring nothing to the table, my friends. We bring nothing to the table. The branches on my grapevines only do what they do because of the vine and what's going on under the ground and the shears and the prunes. The branches are just, they just, they're there. Apart from the vine, they do nothing. We are utterly reliant upon him for everything. Amen? Amen. Okay. Because I'm telling you, my friends, as somebody who is a broken, fallen individual, I often rely on myself for things other than him. And if you're anything like me, you do the same. And, and, and we, we rob God, ultimately, of his glory, because as we'll learn, this is driving somewhere with what that fruit does for God when we try to do things on our own. So we need to talk about two things. <clears throat> How do we abide? And... Other than bearing fruit, is there something else that is the end game here? Kind of tipped my hand a moment ago about that. What's the goal in all this? Well, let's look at the second question first. How do we abide? I'm sorry. Um, what is the ultimate goal in all this? That's the, the, the second question I asked. What's the goal in all this? Look at verse 8. What is the result of us bearing much fruit? The Father is glorified. The reason that we're bearing fruit as we're abiding in the vine, Jesus, is so that the Father is glorified. Now maybe, hopefully, you're picking up on a theme over these last couple of weeks about bringing God into the spotlight. Is that a theme that you've been catching? A couple of you? You see, what happens is when God gets the glory, he gets the attention, the credit, as the one true source of life hope, and forgiveness, then he's made known around the world as this, the only one. The way, the truth, and the light, nobody comes to the Father except through him. And so when we bring him glory, it points to him as the one who is the way, the truth, and the light. It's not an ego thing. It's not a, oh, look how great I am, says God. No, he, he knows that he is the only way, and so 
the more people that are pointing the light to him and going, look, look at what God is doing, the more likely the world is to see that and go, oh, there's something there. Maybe I ought to investigate about that. That's why he is so particular and protective about his name and his glory and his name being made great. That's why we exist to know Jesus and what? Make him known. That's glorifying God, right? That's our purpose. And it's manifested through our abiding, loving, and obeying the Lord. Okay, so bearing fruit to bring glory to God. That was the, the second question. The first question was, how do we abide? Then, If we're to do this, and it's so important, we ought to know how to do it, right? The first thing that comes to my mind when I think about this is proximity. Think about the illustration again, vine and the branches. Can the vine partake of, I'm sorry, can the branches partake of any of the nutrients, minerals, life, energy, from the vine if it's, if it's detached? Even just, I mean, just like just a, like an inch away, can it partake at all? None. Yeah, it actually dies, right? Proximity is key in this illustration. It's also key to us. So how then do we remain in proximity to the Lord? How do we stay close enough to receive from the vine, from Jesus, what we need in terms of life and everything? One of the main ways that I feel like we do that is in our daily devotion, our time in the word and our time in prayer, right? Does that make sense? We're communing with God. We're, we're in his word. We're in communication with him. And, and when we begin to see, my friends, how significant and important this is for us as Christians and as ones that are called to bear fruit in order to glorify God, Realizing that when we don't do these things, when we're not abiding through a regular, daily, sometimes moment by moment, communing with God through the word, through prayer, we cannot do any of it. And I'm, I'm certain many of you are like me where we go through dry seasons where it's like, oh, I just don't feel like reading today. <laughs> or you, you get through like a, a hard season and you look back and you go, man, I can't remember the last time I prayed. <laughs> Has anybody ever had, had those conversations with yourself, right? But think about it in this context as being attached to the very thing that gives you life. I'm not saying that that is going to be the, the one thing that makes you, you know, more obedient and all this, but it certainly should help to know that if I'm a detached from the source that I am going to wither up and die. That's what that dry season feels like. We talk about those desert moments. That's because we're separated. So proximity to God, closeness in our daily time with him. That's, that's the main way. I think it's the primary way as Jesus pours life and truth and hope into us every day. But there's also this recurring theme of love, right? We read through the whole second half of this section all about love. Again, again, this is the theme of John throughout. Some people call it the, the love gospel, right? There's all kinds of mentions of love. And so we've got to be very mindful of the love that God has for us. What it does, it helps us keep the proper mindset, daily acknowledgement of what Christ did for us on the cross, and even kind of tells us the greater uh, has no sacrifice than this, that he lays down his life for his friends, and then what does he call them? You're my friends. (laughs) He's giving, uh, you know, just kind of tipping his hand to them, going, hey, look, guys, I'm going to give my life for you. 
But a daily acknowledgement, an understanding of that helps us remain in proximity. It drives us to wanting to be loved by God. So we think on these things. We rehearse these things to ourselves daily. Think about the first time you fell in love. Remember? You just couldn't stop thinking about another person. Audrey, you shaking your head no? No, I'm just kidding. Can you remember back that far? You, can't, you get the idea, though. You see it in movies all the time. You're like daydreaming. Like every thought, everything that you have consumed of what, what that person's doing. You're writing notes to them when you used to write notes, right? Everything was about that person. Every thought, every action, every desire. Yes? Is it like that with the one who loves you more than you could possibly fathom? Is, is he captivating your mind and your heart daily and drawing you in? I sure hope so, yeah. So remaining, dwelling, staying, abiding in Jesus includes love. His love for us and vice versa. How then... Is love expressed as Jesus explains it to us? We've been working through this, and he even talks about it again. He says, if you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. You're probably getting tired of hearing this by now. But if it's this is not a driving theme in John, I'm not sure what else is. He says, again, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So doing, another way that we abide and stay and remain in Jesus is by being doers of the word. Obedience-based discipleship. It's hard to abide and remain in... I'm sorry, it's it's hard to be doers of the word genuinely without abiding and remaining in Christ as our source. It's really difficult to do that. As one scholar says, he says, the intersection of love and obedience has been an important theme in the farewell discourse, and it continues to be the two pillars of the Christian life and experience. The intersection of love and obedience. You know, I'm also reminded of this passage that it was Christ that called us to himself. He says that, right? I called you didn't you didn't come for me. I called you. Be mindful of that as well. We're talking about ways and, and, and strategies, if you will, to abide in him. Knowing that he first loved us while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. (laughs) He loved us first, and he called us to himself. That should be, uh, again, another way in which we are drawn into him. God, you loved me. When I was unlovable, you loved me. And then you called me to yourself. Now, here's something you may not want to (laughs) hear. How about a willingness to submit to the pruning shears? You think that's the way that we abide and remain? A willingness to go, all right, God, trim away, trim it up, let's do it. Because you can run from that. You can run from the shears, believe it or not. And now, God has a way of, of heading you off of the pass with his little shears. But you can, you can dip and dodge and duck and dive and all that kind of stuff. Your way around those shears for a long time. It's a whole lot different than going, all right, Lord. Have your way in me. What better way to show your willingness to abide in him than say, just, just do it. Because you know what the result is, right? 
It's for your good and his glory. So another way that we abide is just say, come on, let's do it. But he does something, he says something, rather, in, in verse 11 that I hope caught your attention. And it's another, another byproduct of bearing fruit that brings glory to God. And that is what? Joy. Joy. That our joy may be full. Not just like, oh, here's a little bit of joy to kind of tide you over. No. That your joy may be full. The joy of the Lord is what for you? Strength. You know, we've been talking a lot about being doers of the word and obedience-based discipleship. When you talk like that, oftentimes people think, man, this is just burdensome. It's just too much. They're asking me to do all this stuff. I just, it's too much. And that's just not the case. Abiding in Christ, as he asks us to do, man, it, it, it positions us to see who we truly are. Sons and daughters of God the Father, friends of the Messiah, <laughs> indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and in that is an unfathomable joy. It's not burdensome. And if it is, then, you know, let's let's talk it out. Granted, there are seasons where it's tough, right? Getting in there and just going to work on the ground of our hearts, is, it's tough work sometimes. But when we, when we have the full picture of all these things that we're talking about, Abiding, trusting, bearing fruit, bringing glory to God, having joy in all of it. You've got to have the full picture to continue walking down that path with joy. That's why I'm trying to drive these points forward so that we see the whole picture of what God has in mind here. So Jesus, he closes his monologue, this portion of the farewell discourse, on a very familiar topic. And I said it earlier, um, love. He gives them another commandment, right? Love one another as I have loved you. Does that sound like an option? Is that a suggestion? Is that a, if you have time for it or if you're feeling like it today? It's a, it's a command that Jesus gives us. And guess when that is more attainable for us? When we're what? Abiding, Abiding in Jesus. Right? I'm not telling you anything you don't know, I don't think. But sometimes... We have to be reminded of these things. And we have to get better at reminding ourselves of these things. And what are the key steps and principles that we ought to be doing to help remain, stay, abide, trust, bear fruit, bring glory to God? All right, one last thought. The Christian purpose is not just to exist. Just hold out until the Lord comes and gets me. We're not called to that idle lifestyle. And I'm certain that we see that at this point. The fruit of the Christian is participation in the mission of God through the church and to the world. That's the fruit. Now, fruit can be a lot of things, right? We know in Galatians 5, it's it's what the Spirit does in us and the Fruit of the Spirit, one of those things is joy and patience and all these kinds of things we're talking about. Yeah, there's that fruit as well. But we got to remember that apart from Him, we're not going to bear any fruit. It's just not going to happen. And, therefore, 
we can't bring glory to God. Not according to this. Apart from him, we can do nothing. I hope you can begin to sense sort of the weight of this passage. It's not just a cute little illustration about a vine and some, and some grapes, like my little illustration to start with. <laughs> yeah, it was cute. This matters. This is, as I said, the core of our existence of who we are in Christ. And it has a major impact on the decisions that we make every day in following Jesus. Now, there's a lot in this passage that you're like, oh, what about this? Or you didn't talk about that. My goal, usually, but particularly in this passage, was to at least pique your interest to go back and go, okay, I want to study that out because I want to know what he meant by that. My job here is to kind of help us see collectively the overall intention of the passage, help us see that, want to apply it to our lives, and then again, help you to see, let's, let's go investigate this a little bit more because there's something else happening in here. So think you got a good understanding of these 17 verses? Got an understanding of what it looks like in our lives today? What it looks like for us to be doers of the word and bearing fruit, obedience-based discipleship, all that stuff, right? And I was talking with Mike earlier this week, and we were talking about how this theme keeps running through. It's been something that the Lord has put in our hearts, the, the three of us, as we talked at the beginning of the year, like where do we want to go? What do we want to see? Um, Part of that is this whole idea of being doers and, and equipping the church for the work of the ministry. Like, you you do the work. <laughs> we do it alongside of you, but it's not reserved from the person up here, right? We're, we're all hands on the plow. We're all in the field working, doing it day in and day out. And these passages, the last few weeks, have just highlighted it. It just sort of brought it all to the surface. And, and again, this, this is the Lord's providence. Like, we mapped this out months ago, <laughs> We even had some interruptions in the service of, of, of or the order, I should say, of these texts. Um, and so Mike's going to preach the next two weeks, and he said, I, I found this theme, I'm not going to steal your thunder, but he goes, I don't think I would have saw it if we didn't offset by a week. Now that I'm preaching these two things back to back, things are making more sense. So God is, is definitely at work in the, in the way in which he's bringing this text to life through John. So I've been really encouraged by that, and I've also been encouraged by just some of the stories I've been hearing and the testimonies I've been hearing. So... I would like to, again, as usual, just, just pause and say, hey, is there anyone, can you put that um, text, uh, that slide up there? Uh, anyone have a way in which we want to bring the spotlight on God? These questions that we can, that we can sort of capture. You can't read them. Said, How has God used your obedience to his word this week to bring him glory? Do you have any examples of that? How you have sought to be obedient and brought God glory? How can you see God growing you as you walk in obedience? Is there anything that he's... He's revealing to you any ways in which you feel like, okay, God, I know what I need to do. Maybe you haven't even taken steps in that direction yet, but you know what God is trying to do. What steps have you taken to live out that Shema lifestyle, loving God through our obedience and loving others through service? Is there anything that anybody has that they'd like to share in terms of bringing God the glory this past week? Of us, but 
our testimony, we dig into Jonah a little bit, uh, but then uh, we had another Marine there, and he, he really opened up a lot um, and asked, like, hey, like, what happened? How did you, what changed? How did you overcome that? And it was, it was just genuineness, seeing the, the Holy Spirit at work. So, Seeing how God used all of us to just touch his heart in it, I pray and hope that he continues to come back and grow closer to the Lord. Yeah. And so had the, had the Lord sort of been working on you to, to start a Bible study up there? Yes. So uh, last week was our first week. Myself, uh, Isaiah Eckenweiler, who uh, is here today, but absolutely uh, starting a Bible study at Camp Farnham at the chapel, 1130 uh, on Wednesdays as of right now. So, any Marines are in the area, come join us. Yeah, but absolutely. So, the Lord laid on your heart to do this thing. You were obedient. How has God used your obedience to his word and to, his word is not just this, right? You heard from the Lord, do this Bible study. You did it. You brought him glory, not only in showing this young Marine what it looks like to live out the Christian faith, but even here today is an encouragement to us. It's that simple, my friends. We're not talking about like going out and being Billy Graham. <laughs> All right. It's, it's very simple, practical ways which you see God using you and your obedience. It's not a brag on, on, on anything that we're doing, but just trying to show that God is doing things in and among us, and we want to pause to do that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, anybody else? If not, that's okay. You said something? Yeah. yeah, go ahead. So um, you guys know I have a very busy week, and I have a friend who's a very, very dear friend to me, and she's not a Christian. We've had spiritual conversations many times. She's very not interested in Christianity, but she has made the comment to us because she's friends with Trace, too. You guys are not like any Christians I know, so she's very open to talking about those things with us because we love her really hard. She asked me on Monday if she could come over, and I know she, it's always like, throws off my whole day, <laughs> and I had a lot of things to do, but I also knew she needed somebody to love on her, so I said yes. She ended up staying at my house for five hours. And in the past, I feel like, and this is where God has God has grown me in my obedience, is she's not in a loving relationship, marriage, that she has support. She needs support from outside. But also, I've, um, in the past, said, oh, I need to set healthy boundaries. This is a nice, healthy boundary. But I think, especially in today's world, a lot of us go, I need to set boundaries, and it's an excuse not to love people sacrificially. And God really convicted of me. You're making excuses. You need to love sacrificially. And so I said yes. She came over. She It threw my whole day off, but I saw how well she was. She needed it, and she was loved. And so I was able to glorify God in that by saying, okay, I'll make up the time somewhere else. And so he really worked on my heart, but I also know that I was able to love on her. And she knows why I love on her, because of who God is in my life. That's great. Yeah, and sometimes, oftentimes, it's the long game, right? Yeah. It's, it's not instant fruit, right? It takes months, sometimes years, of just consistent, faithful, loving others as, as you're called to do it. And so I appreciate that. Uh, yeah? Yeah, I can't, can't say something on Good. that, Trace. Uh, many testimonies 
projects, there's a season, uh, season of gardening before oftentimes they're able to potentially share the gospel. Uh, so this week also, uh, I, was had, I had opportunities to just sit, listen, um, get to know some other brothers, uh, and then also like with my with my neighbor, just listen to what was going on mm-hmm. in his life. Um, and those are the opportunities where um, just being there and listening and look scanning the horizon to see what God is at work in the story. And, yeah. Engage and just see what the Lord moves more. Taking that initiative and leaving the results up to Him. Amen. Yeah, something we didn't hit on this, and hopefully you caught it. He said that your fruit may abide. Did you see that at the end? That your fruit may last. It's not just how can I get this to sprout up quickly, because that's not going to last. It's the long game. Oftentimes. That doesn't mean God can't do miraculous things overnight, because he does. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, we, we are grateful for the, for the work you're doing in us, and the way in which you are helping us to see our need to remain in you, to, to be connected to the source of all life and hope, truth, and love. And I pray this week, Lord, is the shift for each one of us to abide in a deeper way. We never arrive. We never are abiding enough, Lord. So every one of us here in this room and in the the sound of my voice can take steps toward a deeper dwelling, remaining, staying, and abiding in you, Father. Show us how to do that, I pray, that we might bear fruit as you see fit, Lord, in your timing and in your relationships, God, that you are helping us develop circles that we're already walking in. And thank you for the testimonies of your goodness to us. Help us to look this week for ways in which you are doing this. That we can share of your goodness and bring the spotlight unto you, God. Help us to abide. As you say, God, never leave, you never forsake. You're with us every step of the way. And you've brought this family of God around us to help us in that path and that journey. So thank you for that. Lord, we bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.